Welcome to the Fergus Falls Business Spotlight Podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into local businesses and the individuals that run our community. To guide you along the way, here's your host, Jacob Bittner. Welcome in. Welcome to another episode I got Emily Westergaard here today. I'm excited to get another class of 08 alumni here to talk about life, what's been going on in life. Um, Emily has kind of a cool story we're going to unfold here. She is an oncologist, Mm -hmm. so we're probably going to talk about cancer a little bit. Not too much, because that's not really the focus of this uh, episode here. We are talking vintage, flipping vintage goods. Emily also has a Etsy shop. Was it e- EMCM? Well, this Fines? is a whole topic of debate, actually, how you want to pronounce it. But okay. yes, it's called EMCM Finds or just MCM Finds because MCM. I'm Emily. People call me M. Okay. And MCM is, happens to be my era that I'm into flipping. MCM is an era? Mid-century modern. Okay. Technically, I think it runs from the 1930s to the 1980s, but like the MCM heyday is like the 50s to the 70s. So everything you see from that time period, MCM. Ah, I like it. I like it. That helps that that helps me because I just saw the cars like EMCM. I didn't know anything Uh about that. So ah, all right, we'll get into all that stuff. So um (laughs) we do have some Stumbino's coffee here we're drinking this afternoon. Unfortunately, I felt like kind of a like a deprived drug user today when I went to get it, go into my bag of coffee and I was like tapping on the corners trying to get like everything out of the bag I could possibly get out. But we got a little weaker, little weaker it's pot good. of coffee today. It's good. It's just like a little bit more mild than what the Stumbinos usually is. So yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to hit up my favorite drug dealer uh, Jenny <laughs> and get and get re-upped on Monday oh, yeah. and keep the keep the Stumbinos in here. But also I do want to thank Swan Lake Resort and Campground, Elevate Dispensary, Victor Lundin's company, uh Hotel 8, and now we got Biffley's bookmark coming on as a sponsor as well. So thank you guys very, very much for supporting the show and uh given me the opportunity to continue doing this and the guests, the opportunity to come in and sit in the seat and tell their story. So it means a lot. Um, all right, Emily. Yeah. I know you because I grew up with you. So I kind of know your background, but just pretend that nobody knows anything about you and talk about growing up and where you're from and how old you are and all that stuff. Okay, I'm old, just like you. Old. <laughs> no. Um, <sighs> so I was born and raised here in Fergus Falls um, was a morning sun kid. And then I met Jake and our whole crew back in middle school, high school, um, went to Colorado college for my undergrad in biology. So I was out in Colorado Springs kind of, and I actually met up with you out. Yeah, in we did. I think we maybe went snowboarding or skiing once. Yeah. yeah I do remember that. Now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after college, I came back to Fergus and kind of was a jack of all trades. I had, I think five or six part-time jobs at one point. Um, I was applying for medical school and just like trying to pay off my student loans and add experience. So I like I worked at um, Pioneer Home as an uh, adult daycare supervisor and I 
taught swimming lessons. I was a biology tutor. I was a personal trainer at the YMCA. I taught fitness classes. And then speaking of Stumbino's Coffee, I was a barista at Cafe 116. Okay. Um, I actually even worked at Union Cafe way back in the day before it became Cafe 116. Um, so I, I was pretty deeply rooted in the first culture there for a couple mm. years. Um, eventually got into medical school and was down in Harrogate, Tennessee at Lincoln Memorial University. Gotcha. Um, you so, were very smart in high school. Oh, thanks. Were you like a 4.0 <laughs> student? Well, I was very upset because I had one A minus. And so I had like a <laughs> 3.99. And boy, my A minus was like, I had a 93.7 and you needed a 94 and they wouldn't round up. And I'm still bitter about it. But Who was it? Who was the teacher? I don't even remember her name now, but it oh. was in like college algebra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So did you know... Um, when you were younger, did you know that you wanted to be like a doctor or did you have like aspirations? Like what did your parents do when you were growing up? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I have no idea why, but um, one of my favorite stories is, so I said I went to Morning Sun. Uh, my first day of first grade, I had Diane Selvig was my first grade teacher. And she asked every single one of us as we walked into the classroom that first day, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a doctor. <laughs> and she remembered that. And then um, she actually came to my med school graduation party that was here in Fergus. Hmm. And it was just like this super cool full circle moment for me. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I've always wanted to be one. I don't know why. Um, I think it became more apparent to me as I got in high school, college. Like I love letting people do what they want to do for as long as possible. And I, that really means by being healthy mm -hmm. or being able to figure out how to manage your challenges as you meet them, whether it's mm -hmm. fitness or cancer or whatever it may be. Um, that's really got, what got me hooked into it. Gotcha. So the process of schooling, lots of time out in Colorado, undergrad, and then um, talk about that finding your grad school and all that stuff. Oh, my undergrad? Yeah. Or yeah. 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 No, I, well, I was just ready to like get out of Fergus Falls. I know that sounds kind of bad, but it was just, oh, I feel know. it. I feel it. <laughs> it's like, you just do so much here in one town and it's like, you just want the world to be a little bit more open. And I would always wanted to be near the mountains. They just were really appealing to me. Um, and then I was always kind of like, I need, I want to go to a really like top tier school. Cause I knew I wanted to go into med school and Colorado college is kind of unique. It has what's called a block plan. So you do like one class at a time for three and a half weeks, and then you get four days off and you do that eight times for a year, which is just mm -hmm. like you do in med school. Um, and so that was super appealing to me as well. And that was really what drew me in. So that process, you just are doing one class and it's like eight hours a day of that same class? For science classes, it literally is like eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dang. I worked in college. That was the other reason how I got into medicine was um, I did like a work study job where I was a student athletic trainer. So my sophomore year, junior year, senior year, I was just working with our D3 and D1 athletes and Got to watch a lot of sporting events. Got to sit on the bench at D1 hockey games for Colorado College. I was their oh. trainer. Um, yeah. Sweet. It was awesome. Did you <laughs> always have oncology on your mind? No. Or, or was that something that came in later? <laughs> Very much later, I would say. So at that time, because I was doing sports medicine and, like, athletic training, I thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And, like, in high school, I'd spent some time working with Dr. Glenn in the hospital and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. My my boss during college was like, okay, we're going to put you with all those men's teams because you're going to be a female in a male-dominated field if you do orthopedics. So we're going to gear you up for that. 
and it did. <laughs> and then <laughs> along that route, after getting into medical school, um, I was again like in this orthopedic surgery club and it was like me and like 20 bros and they were all like, I'm going to operate on, you know, professional athletes and that's all I'm going to do. And I had just had this whole different experience when I was shadowing here in Fergus or in other small places where I'm like, you guys do know that there's not that many pro athletes that get hurt and there's not that many doctors that work on them. Like most of what orthopedic surgeons do is help our like elderly population, knee replacements, injections, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Working and, out in veil, swapping yeah, knees I from know. ski crashes. That's <laughs> what it is. Like it's, it's not like you're always working with like LeBron James or something like that. And I don't know. It was just like, it was a real turnoff to me that everyone only wanted to work with like college athletes, pro athletes. And like, you're missing out on this whole thing. And so that got me to think a little bit differently. And I'd had plenty of family members and friends, families that had been through a cancer diagnosis. And I mean, I just always thought I'm like, oh, this is a really sad, sad field. And I didn't have any interest in it really um, until one summer I was home um, during medical school and I wanted to do some shadowing and Wade Swenson was working here in town at the Cancer Center and I knew him from Fergus Falls Running Group, shout out to FFAR. And um, he said, why don't you come shadow me for a month or something while you're here and just get the feel of it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is not going to be that exciting. <laughs> but, oh, so you, you shadowed Wade. Yeah. He's one of the, um, I think, I, I don't want to call him like a regular. But oh, I, yeah. But he's he's in a, he's into outstate often enough uh -huh. that I know who Wade is. He's a yeah. nice guy. Yeah, really we've, good guy. we've been regulars there a few times chatting over a beer. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. But no, it was like I, I shadowed him in clinic and I was just kind of amazed at what he does in a day. And it was sure there's sad moments, but there's also a lot of joy because obviously it's like life. There's ups and downs. And, you know, I think we all kind of think of cancer as being just downs, but mm -hmm. there are so many wins along the way, no matter how you look at it. And it, it was just so cool. Like I left that clinic every day being like, wow, I just felt like I was a huge part of someone's life and like made a difference, Yeah. Uh, which is what medicine is about. And people get that feel, you know, from all sorts of different things. But for me, I was like, this is it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was in, you were in the middle of med school down yeah. in Tennessee at the time? Yeah, second year of medical school. And tell me about that area because we were talking before because I'm going to take a little trip down to the South mm -hmm. and, and maybe even I'll have to go see this area. It, uh, sounds, pretty, it sounds pretty sweet, but you were in the yeah. Cumberland Gap down there. Literally the Cumberland Gap was my gotcha. home. Yeah. So um, actually the, the Lundin family has a connection to that area at the time their daughter and son-in-law were living there. And that's how I learned about this school. Um, Jonathan Leo okay. um, is Buzz Lundin's son-in-law. And ah. so he really is the guy who helped me get into medical school there and like opened my eyes to this area and it's totally different than Fergus. Yeah. <laughs> like in good and bad ways. Um, I think when people hear the word Tennessee, they're like Nashville. Ooh, that would have, that had to be great. And I'm like, no, nah, I was in a dry County in a coal mining town in <laughs> Eastern Tennessee, yep. uh, a whole different experience. Like literally the coal mine was right there. Um, it's like one of the poorest counties in mm. Tennessee, one of the poorest counties in Kentucky that abuts it. Um, the yeah. South is a different world. If you totally. haven't traveled down there and driven, like I've done the whole drive through Branson, Missouri and Memphis and yeah. Atlanta and all that stuff. And it's like, 
I don't know where the transition happens or where the lines are, but at some point you realize I'm in a different country right now. I'm in the United States, but I am in a different country right now. The poverty is heavy down in that area for sure. The opportunity seems um, more rooted in what you make it or like the nature, like you really have to be like ingrained in nature. That's why there's a lot of rednecks down there, I think. And a lot of like, yeah, I don't know. But, but, um, so how long were you, what'd you go to have to go to like eight years of college total or was it more than that? So I did four years of undergrad in Colorado. I took two years off. And during that two years I was here in Fergus. And then I spent two years, my first two years of medical school, I was in Harrogate, like Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, And then my third year of medical school, I went out into like clinical rotations and I was in um, Crossville, Tennessee, kind of central Tennessee, another small town. Um, Then my fourth year of medical school, I came back and did all of my rotations at Lake Region Healthcare. So got to live at home, got to work with a lot of the physicians that I knew and um, see a lot of patients that I knew, which was also cool. really cool. It, it was a great experience. Um, but that was the end of like school. So, <laughs> school so the last two years of med school is is like uh, internships or yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. your gotcha. first two years of medical school, you're just like in the books, in mm-hmm. lectures, taking tests, and then your second two years are like go out and see real people. <laughs> and yep. You're still taking tests along the way, yep. but it is well, you're still taking tests to this day. <laughs> You've got to. Tests, tests you're taking here tomorrow you said yeah, or something Monday, on yeah. Monday yeah yeah it's just tests <laughs> tests tests so um test, test. yeah well in a field that's ever changing yeah it's- well and then like you graduate so everyone's like, oh, are you graduating soon? I'm like, well, I've graduated like, let's see, one, two, three, four. I'll have my fifth graduation coming up next June. <laughs> It'll be my last one. I swear it's going to be my last okay. one. Okay. So yeah. you got all kinds of degrees and all kinds of certifications and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, and we can talk more about that. I'm sure that it, it'll be like a part of your story. But where did you start getting into these vintage goods? So, yeah, I, I got into vintage during COVID. Okay. Um, I So at that time, I was living in Minneapolis. So after medical school. Yeah, yeah. You fill do, in that gap. Fill yeah. in that gap after medical school because you're living in La Crosse now. Yeah. So I was in Tennessee for three years, moved back to Fergus for my final year of medical school, graduated. And then the next step, I did internal medicine residency. And so I matched into internal medicine at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis. So kind of like lived in the heart of uptown for three years. And so that was just like that, that could be a whole podcast in itself is like, what was Emily's life like in uptown in 2020 and 2019, 2021? It was a lot. Um, huh? It was a lot. Yeah, it was. I mean, Abbott was very much impacted by COVID. I was moonlighting and working nights and it was horrible. I was like triaging who got BiPAP at night. It was like a breathing machine because no one could breathe from COVID. And, you know, it was like, it was, it was just very intense and um, very much like perfect for burnout. And then after that, George Floyd happened. So, um, and that was like two blocks from where my apartment was and where the hospital was. So like my drive to work every morning was like burnt down buildings um, Matt and I's second date, we walked by seven AK 47s when we crossed the street from my apartment Dang. to a brewery. <laughs> it 
<laughs> it was just like not fun. So so yeah, you're dating Matt McGovern. I am. Yeah. And now and how did how did that come to be? That was in Minneapolis. It, yeah. It all happened in Minneapolis during COVID. Yeah. During it all that period it, well, of time. it all started with a chat with his sister, Dr. Lauren Herzog, yep. at Outstate yep. Brewery, and ah. and then we just happened to connect, and you know, the rest is kind of history. Gotcha. So. Yeah. So she said she she said well you well, guys she knew helped each other. set us she, up like, yeah. yeah between her and Ari Stegan okay um yeah gotcha well, not Stegan now so you guys have been together for go. for for three two or three years oh about two and a half yeah okay yeah. all right awesome yeah. awesome um so Minneapolis you were working more as like a triage doctor or like well, I was or a, doing those COVID yeah. times you hadn't gotten into oncology at that no. point yet. Yeah. So you have to do three years in internal medicine training and, um, all that really kind of s- the kickoff of COVID happened towards the end of my second year. So I had one year left in Minneapolis and we spend a lot of that time doing what's called moonlighting. So it's like, basically you can make extra cash by working nights, but then still doing your normal work during the day. Um, which like, not I'm not a night owl <laughs> so I was yeah. just telling you like I'm like get me to bed by nine you know <laughs> but I was staying up all night because like part of our requirement is that you should be moonlighting because it's a great learning experience but during COVID it was brutal um so huh. I was doing that and then basically is any opportunity where I had like 48 hours off I got out of Dodge and I was coming back to Fergus and hanging out with my parents and like COVID, Fergus Falls, there wasn't a whole lot happening at the time. We just we just skipped that. We just ignored that. We're like, yeah, that's not a thing for us or whatever. Maybe I'm sure the hospitals were, were yeah. I'm sure that there was some stuff going on here, yeah. but it was like nobody really. You know, it wasn't as, I don't know, like yeah. everything wasn't as impacted as yeah. Minneapolis. So yeah. it was just so nice to like come back and like not be in a studio apartment with like boarded windows and right. be like out my, by my parents' house where there's like prairie around them and. Um, the stores were still open here and like I could go to a grocery store. And so whenever I'd come home, just like something to do, I started going to um, the antique store downtown, Lincoln uh, Antiques. Yeah, yep. And I would just go like wander around and, you know, it's like amazing the stuff that you'd find. So I like the first things I gravitated to without really knowing anything about them were Fire King glass and Red Wing pottery. Hmm. And so I just was like, what is, what is that Fire King glass? So Fire King glass is uh, like the ovenware. It was huge in the really kind of, well, totally MCM period from like the 30s maybe a little bit later, all the way into the 70s, 80s. Um, it's a made by Anchor Hawking, which is like still the biggest glass company out there. Huh. And it was all this ovenware, like you could heat it up, you could freeze it, and it would be just fine. Um, in the 60s, it was really big because people were buying these Fire King glass mugs, and then they'd put their branding on it. So like you could see, you know, like an, a gas station in Pelican Rapids maybe had their own Fire King mug, yeah. their logo on it. Um, but they're everywhere. And so I just was like, these are really cool coffee mugs. I'm just going to, I've always loved coffee mugs. <laughs> so I gotcha. just like hoarded them. Um, and if I found a good deal on it, then I felt even better. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, that was a good deal. Yeah. Um, and Red Wing Pottery was just a big thing because of the Minnesota connection. I was like, this is looks really cool and it's cool colors and it was made in Minnesota. So this seems like a natural thing to collect. Huh. And from there, I, I was just kind of like, oh, well, I wonder... I've never been to a Goodwill. I wonder if there's stuff to look at at the thrift so store. So <laughs> were you were you collecting stuff and 
um, flipping stuff on Etsy then? No. Not yet. Etsy no. Etsy hadn't come into the picture Etsy yet. You wasn't were there. at this point just hoarding. I was hoarding. Just hoarding I was collecting and collecting. <laughs> in my studio apartment. So you hit up the Goodwill though, huh? Yeah, well, that's what that was the next thing. Yeah. So by then well, I was just kind of going to antique shops and I'd pick up an item here or there. And that was when I was still in Minneapolis. And then um, about two and a half years ago, not quite two and a half years ago, I moved to La Crosse to start my fellowship in oncology. Okay. And what led to that opportunity? So I just, so to get into oncology, you have to finish three years of internal medicine, which I did in Minneapolis. And then there's this horrible process called the match, <laughs> which is done in medical education. Basically, like you pick places where you would want to go learn how to do oncology and hematology. And then they put you into this database. And if they're interested in you, they interview you. And then whatever interviews you get, you make a rank list and you say, oh, my first choice is... Lacrosse, Wisconsin. My second choice is Minneapolis, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then they take the list of that program, that training site, and they try and match the numbers so that, you know, like the number one at this training site gets someone who had them listed as a number one. They try to create these matches. So is this like a like a national then? Yeah. Like, is it all connected? Are there individual companies within this? Or is, it's no, like an it's, organization? It's like a union? So, yeah, that's the organization is called the ACGME um, or the American College of Graduate Medical Education. And they're responsible for doing the match for like every single subspecialty in medicine. And huh. so it's all you like put all your information into this website and they do this fancy you know, figuring out the numbers and then they send you an email that says you match somewhere and that's just where you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, I was lucky. I, f I got to go where I like my number one choice. It was where I wanted to go and huh. it was La Crosse, Wisconsin. And that was, uh, I mean, Gunderson Health is there and that's where I'm at now. Um, and it, it's just been this awesome program. It's it's a lot different than a lot of other oncology programs out there. It's usually they're thought of as being like at large universities and super academic and really, really heavy on research, which for me, my passion is rural medicine and like rural cancer care, mm. um, which is obviously not academic and not a university. It's really just all about the people and like making their lives as easy as possible. And so I wanted to be somewhere where I was actually getting that experience up front, like put me in a community, let me help people that are driving like an hour to come see me. And so um, Gunderson matched that perfectly. And that's where I'm at now. Gotcha. That cool. led me to thrifting. That led you to thrifting, <laughs> more thrifting. So yeah. how long did you hoard and collect and hoard and collect and hoard and collect before you decided like, I mean, Etsy really started to take off post pandemic. Yeah. Um, like it, there was a lot of opportunity in that. And I totally. assume that there that kind of kicked off a Etsy era that sort of existed before, but now is like so. a really, that site is growing continually and there's all, you can get anything on there. My brother-in-law yeah. does cameras. I have an ex that's made a living selling stickers. And, yeah. and like there's, you can do all different kinds of things. So you collected all this stuff and then what's, clicked with you where you're like, you know what? I should probably start selling this stuff. Well, yeah. So I was going to Goodwills and like Salvation Army and I would just go wander because it's, I mean, it's just like a really good distracting game. So I mean, we were chatting about this a little bit, but like oncology can be very heavy mm -hmm. and kind of like you come home at the end of the day and you want to just kind of leave your work at home, but you can't because we care a lot. Right. So um, I can't just sit at home and be like, oh, 
what else can I do for that patient? I wonder how that patient's doing. Um, I need a distraction for my brain. Plus I'm just like, I get bored easily too. So I would just go to thrift and, you know, looking at things on a shelf, it's like doing a word search for me. You know, it's like, it just like keeps your mind going. I'm like, Oh, what's on this bottom shelf? Let me dig through it. I don't want to miss anything. Um, And so it's been like a therapeutic thing for me. I think it just like takes my mind off of whatever I've been thinking about that day. And I just go and like look for treasure And so I was looking for my specific collection items for a long time, right? Well, not a long time, like four months, okay? Like four months of looking for Fire King and Red Wing. And then I'd be like, oh, that looks really cool. Or, oh, that looks really cool too. (laughs) I realized I live in a tiny apartment with two ginormous dogs and Matt McGovern. (laughs) And I probably can't start collecting everything. But it was very much like that feeling of like when you go to a humane society and you see a cute puppy and you're like, oh my gosh, this, I, just, I can't, I can't just this. leave this thing here it. on the show. I can't just, yeah. dude, you're going to have some problems later on I in know. life here. I don't like, like, I need to rehome this item. It can't just sit on this bottom shelf where like, no one's going to buy it. I think that's how, that's how hoarding, that's how it starts. That's it how is. it starts. No, but, I, but I'm, but I'm, I'm excited for, for where the sale and the business comes yeah. in here because and and just to circle back on that, like not everybody works in a field as emotionally draining and emotionally consuming as oncology yeah. or working with people who are you're literally dealing with life and death yep. situations every day. So like just that side, like the um, importance of having a side hobby and oh, yeah. a side passion and a side gig to fill your time with and fill your mind with. I think that a lot of people can, can take notes on that. Even if you're not in, into the cancer industry or anything like that, like maybe you're a mechanic and you're just sick of cars. Like maybe you need to just like pick up a side hobby, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always better to be well-rounded and I don't care like what you do. Like it's better to, it's how you connect with people. And Mm. that's, that's really what, thrifting has brought me to, you know, like, so, okay. So I had, I couldn't leave these items at the store. Right. So then they come home with me and then I was like, you know what? I don't have room for all of this. So I need to do something. And so in the meantime, because of my addiction to vintage, whatever, um, I started following a bunch of different vintage pages on Instagram. And I realized there's like a whole world out there on Instagram of people who just like resell vintage stuff like really cool stuff and then they arrange it in a way that makes it look even cooler than what it is to like reimagine its purpose yeah and they're not even using etsy they're just literally like posting a photo of a really cool vintage item and saying this is 15 dollars plus shipping message me and you can have it and i was like this is brilliant mm-hmm. <laughs> but that sounds like a lot of work right <laughs> um and so I created an Instagram page and I was just like posting photos of my vintage stuff that I bought for me. And then I was like, you know what? I bet I could do Etsy. Why don't I do Etsy? Yep. And so August 7th of 2022 was my opening day of my Etsy store, EMCM Finds or MCM Finds. And I like initially had only like 15 items, I think, that I posted and it like quickly escalated to now I have 145 oh items listed. <laughs> so do you guys have like a, a closet full of stuff or do you I have like wish. shelves? 
Do you have shelves that like you keep your inventory I on? Wish. Or how do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's been a process. Okay, so like uh, it honestly. I, we need a bigger place. We live in a tiny apartment. It's like mm. a two bedroom apartment. But and one of them's for your Etsy. Office? No, I okay. again, I wish, but no, what basically huh. like our bedroom, I have like this tiny little wall and I have blue rubber maids. Okay. So I like wrap up the vintage and my rubber maids are organized differently. Like by month for a while, it was like, Oh, all the items I posted from like June and July are going in here. So I know where to find it if someone orders it. But now I've rearranged and it's like wood items in here, pottery in here, tumblers in here, <laughs> brass in here. Gotcha. And that's that's like the method of my madness. But then I also have to you have to have a packing room, right? Right. Packing is like half the job. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love packing it, making sure it doesn't break and like tucking it in nicely. But the, the other problem is I don't want to buy all that stuff. So I, I, my whole company is basically like recycling everything. Yep. So I'm recycling goods that I'm selling. I only use recycled boxes. So I get boxes from the hospital. I get boxes from me buying things on Amazon, friends <laughs> buying things on Amazon. And then all of my like packing products are also reused. So uh, my dad works out at Stonell. He occasionally has like extra bubble wrap that I can use that they recycle. Um, I again reuse all the stuff my friends or I get from packages. Um, I get newspaper from Festival Foods and Lacrosse, and like I don't buy any of that packing stuff, and Dang. so it's cool. Yeah. So um, you have a packing room that like? Oh no! I wish again I, I had wish, a packing room. Uh, my uh, packing boxes are currently on top of our Labrador Retrievers like uh, kennel okay. in our living room, and I pack on our kitchen counter. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's it's not the ideal yep. setup, but I also also think it's important to realize then that you can do this literally anywhere. Any you can you can you can, you can absolutely like. Don't make, you don't, don't make excuses. Like you can do anything anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't live in a beautiful house. Like a lot of these people who are taking photos of their vintage stuff on Instagram have where it's like, Oh, my perfectly curated living room. And I'll just put this item in and take a photo. Like my, um, I I wish I could share a photo of like where I actually take my photos, (laughs) but it's literally two cardboard boxes stacked up against a wall next to my Peloton with a fake piece of wood that looks like a table. And then I put two books on it and the item. Okay. Well, <laughs> sta- so staging, this was, a, this was a big thing. Like, you know, who, you obviously know who Gary V is. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be like an inspirational hero of yours yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Right. But uh, like his biggest thing is like, you know what? You can take and get a couch for free off of Craigslist or whatever and restage it, take a nice picture of it and, Photos sell like staging, staging and taking a nice picture of an item that you're listing for sale online is half the battle. I mean, like that's like you can have a kind of a less than stellar item and really, really make people want it by taking a nice picture of it. Totally. So it's all about that. And you're probably constantly looking for different like ways to help your backdrop and make different lighting has to be right. Like if if it's cloudy, I'm like, Oh, I can't take photos today. Can't take (laughs) photos today. (laughs) I've totally, I've totally seen, like I said, my ex ran a sticker shop on Etsy. So I've totally like, 
And we had a two bedroom apartment, but I was I gave her a whole room to do her Etsy. See, in. that's what and I like, need. And 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 that's what you it's need. Very kind. That's what you need. Yeah, know, it was that, kind. <laughs> well, that you gave her a whole room. Like you know, my right now. Well, our second bedroom is like not a bedroom. It's actually like our gym, Matt's closet, his office my staging area plus our bike storage room you guys just have a lot going on <laughs> a lot going on in your lives we do I, yep. we're like very ready to have a house yep yep what Not is yet. what does matt do these days he works from home and he's a re, like a recruiter uh, okay. for a company called itr okay yeah i'll get him on sometime yeah. maybe, maybe oh, i'll maybe, maybe he'll come on sometime and yeah talk. that'd be fun that'd yeah. be fun i got to talk with his Sister, yeah, with, we with his sister and his dad, and that was a really fun. That was one of my favorite ones to do. It was <laughs> cool. really enjoyable. So, um, as far as the structure of it goes, is this just like a sole proprietorship? You just kind of like, yeah. I mean, Etsy does a really, really good job of giving you all the forms and stuff you need for taxes. Yep. Yep. No, I, I it's literally just me. Um, I don't have an LLC yet. I'm going to get one, I believe. But I. Of course, I've only been open for just over a year. Yeah. And like when things started, like it took a while to build up. And I mm -hmm. think like for anyone looking into doing an Etsy business, like you just have to realize it's not going to happen overnight. Like I think my first month I sold two things. Okay. And, you know, it's just been like a steady upward progress since then. But it, it takes time to build followers and takes time to build sales. The more sales you have, the more reviews you have, the more people are going to look at your stuff. And that, yep. that just takes time and followers. Um, so I finally feel like I'm getting into a comfort zone there and mm. it's been going really well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it is just me. So I do my books, I do the photos, I do the sourcing. So the going out and the thrifting, I do the packing, I drop, I'm at festival foods, shipping my packages like three days a week. Mm. <laughs> they know me very well. Um, but yeah, it's, it obviously ebbs and flows. Um, like Christmas time is a big time. I sold a lot yep. during Christmas because yep. people were buying gifts and mm. um, it gets a little quieter in the summer because people are out doing their own thing and not scrolling through the internet as much. Mm. Um, but in vintage reselling land, summer's the hot time because garage sales, estate sales, and that is probably my actual favorite part of what I do. You, I mean, you got to stay on top of the inventory. You, you got to keep the inventory you coming in. You seriously do. And just believe that it'll it'll sell eventually. Yeah. You know. Well, like, and if it doesn't, you don't spend all that much money on it. So, right. like, I I kind of just have this rule. I'm like, no matter what, I'm going to buy this thing for two dollars at Goodwill. If I don't decide I want to keep it, or nobody else wants it. I'm going to give it back to Goodwill and then right. everyone benefits because I gave money to Goodwill the first time. Someone else will probably give them money the second time. Right. So I like I, that's what gives me happy feels. But no, I, I like the garage sale game and the estate sale game, which really just happened. It, it, we kind of had gotten into it, Matt and I, like last summer, but this summer we've gotten into it a lot more. Yeah. And it is like just the highlight of everything because yep. – we have met so many cool people <laughs> along this vintage road of like, you know, you go to a garage sale and it's, you know, two 80 year old sisters that are clearing out their house huh. and getting rid of all of their mid-century modern stuff. And they're like, are you sure you like that? You know, they're just, you know, amazed that people as young as us are interested in their old stuff. Yep. And then they tell you their life story and it's just been so cool. Yeah. Um, a couple, there's like two glass guys in lacrosse that are kind of live right by the campus. And it's like one weekend a month, they just pop up shop and 
it's Ron and Mike, and they are two of the goofiest dudes who should have their own Netflix show <laughs> about them, you know, turning over glass. It's, yeah. it's just been really cool. Yeah. So give a, you talked a lot about a lot of the different products you do, a lot of the glass and stuff, but just kind of like give like an overview of all the different kind of products you like when you go to a garage sale, like what are you getting? Yeah. Good. What do you sell? So you never know. You got to see what's good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just never know which puppy's going to look yeah. up at you with those sad eyes. Exactly. You never know. Yeah. No. So I, every time I come home, I go thrifting. So like the last yesterday I hit up all the Fergus thrifts and today I was out in Rotsay and Pelican going to their thrift shops. But yeah, you really just never know. I, you know, the more pictures I've looked at, so like I've been doing this a little over a year now. And so I follow so many Instagram accounts of people that collect and sell vintage. And I'm in all these different Facebook groups for vintage people. Um, and so after you see so many photos of like the true, like mid-century modern treasures that people are after, it's like, now it's just, I go to a store and I'm like, do I see anything that I've seen? Mm. And that's what I go after. But a lot of it is like colored glass. Um, a lot of it is pottery, ceramics, uh, brass, anything I usually buy. Um, artwork sometimes but mostly i'd say that's in the realm of what i sell granny blankets afghans oh yeah okay mm -hmm. do you do like do you look for like the silver anything silver silver stamps anything like that do you do anything with that um i don't really do silver that much because there's so much niche. of it silver is like insane it's everywhere people don't want to polish their silver so if you ever want silver go to the thrift store yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. everywhere. I like it. I'm big into silver, not so much like vintage silver stuff, but yeah. like, I like my silver coins a lot. Oh you know? yeah. I like, yeah. I don't find coins at the thrift, but antique stores. They've got that's them. Your place. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. They've got them. Yeah. Um, so talk about the growth a little bit more. I know that like my brother-in-law started, he does a photography, he sells like yeah. vintage cameras and cool. stuff. And he, he's a, really really good at like fixing them up so he'll like take an old camera and fix it up he also has a 3d printer but i know he started his etsy and again like you said slow right away but then once it starts to take off just like any selling on any website there's an algorithm and once yep. you kind of as, as long as you continue to meet the um algorithm or like ooh, i'm like making the making the algorithm happy it's going to push your stuff up more and more and totally. now he's like you know, he's a full-time engineer and he's got his Etsy on the side that he is basically a second full-time yeah. job that he's working on. So how, how is that scaling? How, like, what are you selling now about? So recently, I'd say in the last like three or four months, I average like one sale a day, which okay. for me is perfect. <laughs> because and these items are going for 20 bucks an item. Um, yeah, 10? that's so, I mean, well, what are your margins? What are your margins on these so things? So <laughs> my goal is to always try and make at least ten dollars. Yep. So a lot of the stuff that like I if sell, I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to take it to ship it, I need to make at least this much money yeah. before before this is it's like not worth it for me to put this in a box for yeah. less than ten bucks. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's that's an interesting question though. Like ten twenty bucks is probably the average price of everything that I sell. Um, but my first sale was this set of black glass tiara gob wine goblets that I had found. And I sold four of them for $90. Wow. So that was like. And yeah. you got them for 
I bought them for four dollars. For four dollars, yeah. Dang. So the the profit margin varies greatly. Yeah, like it can range from literally two dollars. You know, if like if I end up having to give a refund to someone for like say there was a crack and I told them like, hey, I'll just let's just knock a couple dollars off of it. That's fine. If they really want it, I don't care. If I break even, if I lose cash, it's it's all a wash to me in the long right. run. Um, but then I'll have other items where like I'm literally making, you know, 50 plus dollars profit from selling one item, which yep. is always really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. So, and you ship out multiple times a week or do you usually try to say like collect all my orders and then go one time a week and do all my shipping? I, so I'm weird. I have like OCD, which is probably why part of me loves this job because I once I like if I get an order, I have to pack it like right away. I'm that person, <laughs> yep. which my customers love that because I ship yeah. pretty fast. Like yep. I think on Etsy, it says I'll ship within five to seven days and my average ship time is like two to three days. So people get their stuff fast and, and that really like reflects itself in the reviews. And so I try and maintain that where I'm probably dropping off, off on average like twice a week. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So as far as future outlook goes, you're hoping you scale. You're hoping you get busier. Are you happy where you're at? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm happy where I'm at, but I always want to sell more. Yeah. Because then yeah. I can get more. Of course. Well, hopefully some <laughs> of these listeners hop on and yeah. hop on and check out uh, MCM Please. on Etsy. That would be that would be awesome. Yes. How about future outlook of oncology? And yeah. where you feel like that industry is going, technological oh, advancements. Crazy. Um, are we going to get a cure for cancer? I don't think we'll get a cure for cancer as a whole. I think we're going to. Cancers. Some yeah, cancers yeah, are getting to be more treatable. Cancer, and, we're getting way closer to having like a, a potential long-term cure for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the world of oncology right now is insane. It's, it's part of why I had turned to vintage to kind of get some yeah. like R and R in because I mean, it, you just can't keep up. Um, and as someone who will be graduating and going to, like out to work in the community again, um, you know, you kind of have to know everything or at least know a little bit about everything um, at like larger centers in urban areas. There's a oncologist who like just takes care of lung cancer or just takes care of breast cancer. Um, but people like Wade who work in smaller communities, we just don't have that luxury. There's only, you know, maybe one oncologist, maybe two oncologists that actually work there. And so like you have to know everything to take care of everything. Um, and so it's kind of like, you just have to, at some point, accept that you will never know everything. And it's basically this career of continued learning. And it's not like the learning is not slowing down. I would say like the biggest jump is definitely med school and just like learning the basics. But then, I mean, every time I get a new patient with a new diagnosis, it's like I you have to go in and kind of dig in and relearn or learn what advancements have been made in the month it's been since you treated your last person with wow. this cancer. Yep. Continual education is like yeah. I can only imagine like if if you were to have gone into like replacing knees or doing something like that, it's like, oh, okay, this is for the, mo I mean, that there's advancements there are, in every yeah. medical industry, but especially yeah. breakthroughs and constant clinical trials and all these different yeah. things that are like 
someone's always working on something new in in your industry for sure. Yeah, I mean, do you do surgeries? No, no. Thank goodness. Okay, so you don't you don't like <laughs> you don't like remove tumors or do anything like that. Do you like do no. treatments with people though? Like, would you be like one that like sets someone up and through chemotherapy and all that? So we order chemotherapy, but we're not like the person hooking them up to the IV. So I basically I'm kind of like a pharmacist in a way, like. I write an order for a drug to be given to someone, but then the pharmacist makes it and double checks my work. And then the nurses in the infusion center give them the chemotherapy. Gotcha. Um, the one procedure that I do do is a bone marrow biopsy, um, which is a procedure I never want to have done. Not that it's horrible, but it's not the best. No one wants to have a bone marrow biopsy, mm. but basically we take a sample of the inside of the bone marrow from the back of the hip and that's that's the only procedure touching needles that I do. Gotcha. <laughs> Otherwise, you're looking at a lot of like x-rays and a lot of like uh, not x-rays. Sorry, but I don't know the terminology, no, yeah, but, but what is what is how do you detect those things and what do you? Yeah, you know? so I I'm placing orders and getting pictures, but fancy pictures. That's like the fancy uh, pictures. It is. It's like the world of oncology is just like. It's full of a lot of expensive stuff because it's all state of the art, right? So um, we're trying to do whatever we can as fast as we can to get ahead of things. And so it's all pretty much like CT scans, MRIs, PET scans, which are kind of more specific for cancer or inflammation, infections. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a lot of that sort of thing. Gotcha. <laughs> Gotcha. Bo boring stuff to most people. Boring probably, stuff, you know? probably. I love yeah. it. It's really fun to, you know, be able to read pictures and show people their insides. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's get back on topic with this MCM finds here. How yeah. about I usually ask people about like events, yeah, or promotions. Do you events aren't really prevalent? Do you do you do like any farmers markets or are you a little too busy for that so, type of thing? A funny story actually. So um in Lacrosse there is a place called White Buffalo Thriftery that is kind of basically what White Rabbit is like, which just recently opened in the River Inn here in Fergus Falls. I was just there today. You guys should check it out. Um, where it's basically like a store with different vendors um, who are reselling vintage or flipping vintage. Like a flea market type It is. Thing. It's like an indoor flea market. And so I was in White Buffalo Thriftery down in La Crosse, and she actually bought one of my items. So that's why I was bringing it down uh -oh. to her. And they're like, hey, you know, we're doing pop-ups where you don't have to buy a booth or anything, but if you wanted to come in one Saturday and put up your stuff for sale. We'd love to have you. So that is on the docket for me this fall. I don't cool. have an official date, but it will cool. be happening. And if it goes well, I'd love to do more. Mm -hmm. Cause mm -hmm. I got a lot of stuff. Got a lot of stuff. <laughs> got a lot of stuff. I bought more today. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> nice. How about, how about an Etsy promo code for the Fergus Falls business spotlight? Yeah. Podcast listeners. Yeah. So you could do EMCM 20. You can get 20% off your order. Ooh, EMCM20. Yep. All right. I'm not going to – should I put it in the show description? You or can. Should, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll put it in the show description. I will put a link to the Etsy shop as well in the show description. And you guys, make sure you check, check it out and find yeah. something cool for your – I don't know who the – it's like the right – like I would never buy – like vintage glassware, but I bet you know someone in your life, like my mom might appreciate a cool dish or yeah. something. I could probably think, you, you can think of someone who needs Emily's stuff. 
You know, well, they're like quaint gifts for people, right? Because I, I don't know, quality is not part of like our millennial culture it's anymore. Not. And the stuff that I pick up, it's been around for like seventy years and still is in really good shape, and because it, it's made well, yeah. And and that's why I love it. Um, but yeah, if you're into need something for a gift, you need something for home decor, just to like cozy up your house, little knickknack. A lot of this stuff made yeah. made in the United States. A lot of this older vintage stuff made in the United States, no. made all over the world. I'd say mid-century modern is kind of an interesting period because there's some made in the U.S., but actually most of the like quintessential what you think of MCM was made in Japan. Um, so like all the little ceramic figurines, a lot of the um, plates and cups at that time were made in Japan. And Japan is a high. Japan does things of high quality. Yeah, they're a lot yeah. different than China. Yeah. Chinese <laughs> brass is very nice is it? though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm interested <laughs> to hop on. I, I shame on me. I, I haven't looked at your Etsy page yet. Shame on me, check but, it out. but I'll check yeah. it out. I'll check it out. And, uh, everyone should check it out and you'll find something. You'll find something that hops out to you. You'll yeah. find that puppy looking at you in the, so. in the eyes, just saying, take me home, yep. bring me home. Yep. Give me as a, <laughs> give me as a Christmas gift. <laughs> uh, exactly. Cool. So, um, well, awesome. Let's anything else you want to add to your operations or anything before we get into mistakes, business advice, any of that stuff? No. Yeah. No? I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's just like, it's really cool to reuse stuff. Yeah. I used to be like such a fan of like new things. And then after like being out and seeing old stuff, I would just like highly recommend, like, especially when like we don't have a target. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to whisper. Yeah, We've like, talked about Wal our lack of targets. <laughs> <laughs> like Walmart yeah. is there and you know, there's lots of great shops downtown right now too. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, like don't forget about places like someplace safe salvation army, mm -hmm. uh, the welcome house here in Fergus. Like they have a lot of really cool stuff. And if you can't find it somewhere, go check it out because you know, I get it. It's used. It might be dirty, clean it up. And I promise you, you'll love it. Yeah. Reuse stuff. Yeah. Reuse stuff. Oh, you know? I also have to give a shout out. So I am one of like at least three online Instagram Etsy businesses based out of like Fergus Falls. Okay. Um, so if you guys are at all interested in vintage stuff and home decor, um, I'd highly recommend following on Instagram Lida Shop, which is Gretchen Ellert. And I'd highly recommend following uh -huh. Hazel May Goods. They are also based out of Fergus. Okay. I'll get Gretchen on. Yeah, I'll, bug, I'll get Gretchen on the podcast yeah, to talk for sure. She's got a great page. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. How about uh, biggest mistake you've made along the way, whether it be something in the medical field or personal life, you know, getting into Etsy, any of that stuff that comes up? Yeah, I think like – Probably my just biggest mistake with Etsy is that I, at the beginning, I wasn't really sure like what my market was. Yeah. And so I just hadn't been doing it very long. And so if I went to the thrift store and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I didn't think about the seller. Like I, I really just had me in mind. Then I was like, well, I don't really know if it's worth anything, but I'm going to buy it anyway. Mm. Well, I ended up redonating a lot of that yep. stuff. And it's really just something you learn with time. But, 
like I, I always make sure if I go to the thrift and I'm buying stuff that I like I put it if I'm at all thinking I want it I put it in my basket and then before I check out I go through who's it gonna buy this yeah and I'm like who's do I really this? think that this is a good thing for me to buy and if it's a no then it's a no and I put it back but yep. that's been like a that's just been a huge thing learning mm-hmm. for me is like when I go out and buy stuff now like I I feel really good about the products that I'm buying and I think the thing that's probably been better for me now is that I. I'm very comfortable if no one buys any of my stuff because yeah. I love all my stuff. Yep. And that way I'm happy no matter what. There you go. Mm-hmm. You can have a home full. Once you actually get a home, yeah. it's going to be. It's going to be full. It's going to be full. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get some. I need some furniture to like put it on first. And Matt, Matt is very supportive of all this. Yeah. Matt, Matt loves There's, going thrifting okay. too. Not the okay. thrift store, but like he gets very into going to garage sales and. He gets very into going to estate sales. Yeah. He's a, he has a big like eBay selling thing happening too. Okay. He's, he's, he's flipping stuff. So he's, he's out there finding stuff too and flipping eBay goods and all that. But like I'm looking at glass and candle holders and he's looking at tools and like sports memorabilia and shoes. Yep. (laughs) Clothes. Yeah. So it's like we, we just go in different directions, but that makes it really fun too. Totally. So I like kind of what you mentioned there with mistake though, because um, you got to know your customer in any field and in anything, because you're making a business for them. And and when, when it's a hobby, it's filling a niche for you or it's filling like a need in your life too. But especially on Etsy, I've witnessed like, if you can get into a specific little niche, mm-hmm. like um, I know that like for, for, you know, when, when Krista was doing stickers, like she really started to take off with her sticker business when she got into specific niches. Yep. And then um, Travis, you know, found that he was doing a bunch of 3d printing. And then like when he got into specific targeted items and, I'm going to make stuff specific to cameras because that's my following and that's the customer I understand. So understand your customer and then just dive into that little niche. You don't have to serve everyone. You need to serve your customer. So you can't, and and you do need to have like the background knowledge because like, again, when I started, I was just like, Oh, look at this. This is colored glass. I must buy it. it. (laughs) (laughs) And now like, I, I know what type of colored glass I'm looking for. So like, I haven't even told you this yet, but like my main thing I collect right now is called Viking glass. And it was probably the biggest during like 50s, 60s, 70s. And so I've literally have looked through the Viking catalog of like the pieces they made in that time period so much and it's unmarked glass. But like today I was out thrifting. I found two Viking glass pieces that I got for both for under $8 and they're probably each worth about 40. If I sold them online, they're not for sale. Um, I'm keeping them for me, <laughs> but I mean, it's just fun. Cause I, I literally get like jazzed if I'm out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's a piece of Viking glass for a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Do you haggle with people? I mean, that's gotta yeah, be part of it, right? I like, do. Hey. It depends on like where you are, like a goodwill. You can't right? right. At most estate sales, if they're done like really professionally, you can't, but like if I go to an antique store, I haggle every time. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love it. Yeah. How about Best business advice. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's incredibly important to have a social media presence. Yeah. 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 Like uh, Instagram. I need to be better about that. I yeah. like, I mean, I'm not like an amazing 
social media person, nor do I really like love social media. Um, like I have my own Instagram, but I hardly ever go on it now. I'm literally just basically going on EMCM finds, um, Instagram page, mm -hmm. but it's just like liking other accounts, getting other accounts to share your post, you know, tagging people, locations, the hashtags, that is huge. I mean, like I don't sell on Instagram, but when another person who has 7,000 followers on Instagram shares one of my items, like I immediately see my views go up on my Etsy page. Mm. And it's, it's just pretty cool. It's like a, the vintage community though, is just like amazing. They all support each other so much. And, um, that's been a really cool experience too. Like they, everyone wants each other to succeed. Yeah. Social media platforms are free advertising. Yeah, I mean, it's totally it, free. It, and it, it, you have to, the opportunity cost of your time, I mean, your time and your energy and your efforts to build that page and build that following. But once you get that established, it's free advertising. Yeah. And, and, so, and it works. If you do yeah. it right, it works. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can definitely have some flops. Like I definitely have some posts that I, I try and post one item a, like a day on my page. Um, just so people can stay interested and in always posting to my stories on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and some posts, you know, if you don't put it at the right time, you don't do the right hashtags, maybe only for like 50 people will see them. But like I, I just made a reel the other day of me cleaning up a, a monkey pod wood bowl and I have like over 400 views and it hasn't even been up for a week. And it's yeah. me cleaning monkey pod, you know, yeah. like yeah. what? Yeah, the internet sp stuff spreads. Stuff it spreads does. out there, on which is good yeah. and bad, right? And that's that's why, like, I, I like it for business, and I like it way less for me personally. <laughs> but it's all it's all positive when I'm on there looking at vintage, you know, and like I only follow other vintage pages. I'm not gotcha. follow. I don't follow you on EMCM Fine. Sorry. Well, I don't have an I don't have an Instagram. I, I don't do Instagram. Yeah, like, you need to. Though. I do. I need to get yeah. into it. Like, or at least Fergus Files business spotlight. Yeah, I, I mean, I should be taking pictures with you guys. I yeah. should be doing some of those reels and some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, this is what I enjoy. Yeah, I just I enjoy the, the conversations part. and I enjoy the chats. So, um, say it again. How can the people get a hold of you? How can they find your Instagram and your Etsy page? It'll all be in the description of the show. Yeah, so EMCM Finds. You can it's one word, my handle for our Instagram. Um, it's also the name of my store on um, Etsy. I have a Facebook page. I'm not as active on it, but I have a business page called EMCM Finds there as well. Um, you can message me on any of those platforms and I'll, I'll get back to you fast. And sweet. And you can always shoot me an offer if you see something you like. I you can haggle with me. I'm, I'm tough. <laughs> you can, no. Or you can just use that promo code EMCM20 yeah. and get and get your 20% off. You can do both. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming in today. Thanks yeah. for sitting down. It was really nice reconnecting with you. Totally. Um, I don't get to see my high school friends nearly as much as I'd like to these days. So it was really, really, really yeah. good just sitting down and hearing from you and everything that you've had going on in life. And good luck with the Etsy shop. Good thanks. luck saving people's lives in the <laughs> oncology field as well. I, yeah. you know, everybody should go get cancer screenings right how does that absolutely. work absolutely psa yeah. no not psa we don't really care about anymore but yeah if you're old enough to get a colonoscopy which is now 45 oh go gosh. do that if you need a mammogram at age 50 go get your mammograms get your pap smears all that stuff all that stuff all right yeah. sounds good and uh thank you again you didn't thank really drink you. much of this stumbino's coffee here but thank you again to stumbino's um swan lake elevate 
Victor Lundin's Hotel 8, Biffley's Bookmark. Thank you guys very much. Stay tuned for more of these. I've got a nice, nice group of people that are that I'm in to to talking with now. So everyone, everyone should come on and tell their story for sure. Absolutely. Thanks.